Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. How you doing, Matt? Ah, oh, that's me. I'm great. How are you, Lyndon? Uh, it is a beautiful day here in Texas, and we are joined for our third, yes, third episode. Fourth, if you count the bonus episode. Well, yes, but third episode. Um... <laughs> with uh you threw me off hold on (laughs) we are joined for our third episode uh in our adventure on coho lint island by our favorite all of our guests are our favorites but kylie is probably our most common guest so hey hey kylie we think you're the best and that's why we keep inviting you on i feel so special when you message me, you're like, hey, do you want to be on? Like, I know it's short notice. I'm like, uh, I will clear my schedule. Yes, I will be on. <laughs> See, that's why she's awesome. See, that's that's the kind of can-do attitude that we appreciate from, from the one, the only, Kylie Parker, Captain Dangerous. She's back again, and we couldn't be more thrilled. How are you doing, Kylie? I am doing wonderful. I am so glad to be here. Of course, always, you know, talking about Zelda, can't go wrong. You truly can't. Nope. Nope. Not Unless at all. you're talking smack and then That's you can't. I very didn't talk smack about Zelda. I, no, I know, but I was just saying if someone was talking smack about Zelda, they would be wrong. Listen, I very rarely talk smack about Zelda because it's my life. So <laughs> I feel like we also wouldn't be bringing people who are known for talking smack about Zelda onto our podcast about Zelda. <laughs> this was a completely hypothetical person, not a real person. We are okay. Just like just saying. <laughs> Just say this was a purely hypothetical circumstance. I don't know I, why you're taking this so literally. I, I promise we're not ganging up on you. <laughs> Thank you, Kylie. Matt's probably not even going to come on the next episode because we're treating him so poorly right now. <laughs> oh, my God. He only says that because he knows I won't be because I'll be traveling for work. <laughs> so he's going to make it seem like it's his fault, but it's not. Oh, gosh. All right. All right. That's enough dragging Matt for now. Um, Kylie, how are, how are you doing? What have you been up to? I am doing great. Um, been busy, busy in a good way. Uh, been dodging tornadoes and crazy storms over here in the Midwest. Ohio has uh, seen a week of craziness. Um, had a couple twisters touch down. Thankfully, there, at least to my knowledge, no casualties, just some damage, whatever. But other than that, I've been great. <laughs> Cool. Well, we're we're glad that you uh, did not like succumb to the elements or anything. Yes, that would have been thank goodness. Man, we would have been wrecked by that. Actually, oh well, yeah, obviously. I mean, yeah. It's it's a typical thing over here in the Midwest. Um, you kind of get used to it. Um, but thankfully, so far, it has not been really bad this year. And I hope you know people who've had storm damage and stuff that it hasn't been too detrimental and like i said thankfully i don't think there has been any severe injuries or anything like that thank goodness um so yeah besides the storms and stuff uh, i'm doing good (laughs) what about what about professionally you got anything fun that you can tease coming up before too long yes i can actually so i do it i just uh, finished uh recording a really awesome 
um, video for Good Smile Company of a fully built set from scratch. I have not done that in a very long time. And it is probably one of my proudest sets I have built from scratch. Um, and it's something I have wanted to build for a very long time. We are okay. in the editing process of the video, but I am very happy with how it's turned out. And I'm very excited to uh, be able to show that to everyone. And not only that, I've been doing some cool stuff with Nintendo that is actually Zelda related. Um, you know, teasing Skyward Sword a little bit. Um, that Ooh, are you get, are you getting pulled into the ad campaign? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very non-committal, but we'll, we'll take it. Uh, yeah. Doing some cool stuff with the the Nintendo team for um, you know just some cool stuff with them. Can't say much more, but uh, I'm really excited to be a part of it. Uh, but I, honestly, uh, other than that, I've just been kind of doing my own thing, trying to build some, some new sets. I, uh, took some cool pictures today. I had a bit of a day off and, uh, you know, my day off is more of a, you know, I'm going to take pictures regardless. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so I had some fun taking some very cute curvy pictures today that I will share with you all later that I think you guys will like. Oh, please do. Um, but I mean, other than that, yeah, just kind of, you know, chug, chugging along, doing doing my best. <laughs> so when you said when you said you built this new set and it's one you've been wanting to build for a long time, um, how how big of a set are we talking here? Like just so this is literally building to put to put it plainly, building a house like a full like think like a dollhouse but an Android scale mm-hmm. uh, from the ground up. I'm talking floors, shingles, like having to literally scale it for a figure, um, like that type thing. Uh, I, I had to, to literally make it from nothing um, simply because I, I've stated this before. Ninjuroids are a very odd scale. Sure. They're between 112 and 124 scales. So you kind of have to like size in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this particular particular set, I uh, kind of had to literally use the figure and scale it off of that. Um, and it, it is a full, complete set, doors, windows, everything. Um, I won't say what it is or the, you know, the, the type theme or whatever, because I, I don't want to spoil, but um, it's going to be pretty cool. I'm, I'm very proud of it. Um, I don't do videos like this too often. Um and I'm kind of excited to to show off the the hard work I've been putting in for the last like I would say like three weeks. <laughs> it's taken a it's taken a while. <laughs> well, we really we really can't wait to see what that is because I mean you know we're big fans of your work and uh, oh, thank you much appreciated. I'm big big fans of you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Aww, thank you. <laughs> I mean that I do. I I love what you guys do and I uh, I've honestly. I have a lot of friends that that I've recommended you guys to and that listen to your listen to your podcasts. And especially since, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I don't I don't go on stuff like this too often. Um, And the reason I I don't is because I like to promote being like on stuff like this so I can promote my friends. So instead of having my own podcast or my own YouTube or whatever, this is my chance to to promote my friends. by being like, oh, hey, I'm on this podcast. So they'll listen to your stuff because they know me. But that's the whole reason is like I'm I'm using myself as leverage because I'm like, I don't have this, but hey, I'm on this. Listen to it. And then they'll find out that they really like you guys, despite the fact that I'm on it. 
Well, well, you know, I like to I like to think that we as a podcast have got the market cornered on Kylie Parker. Like she's our she's our hidden gem. And oh, uh, I feel so special. Just, we're just gonna keep doing. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's seriously, it's such a it's such a great time every every time we have you on. Oh, so. and I and I love it. And like I've said before, like anytime y'all want me on, like I this is my this is like my favorite thing, being able to just sit and talk Zelda with my friends, have a drink. Like this is. This is peak life right here. <laughs> Speaking of which, what are you drinking tonight, Kylie? So I tried to kind of make something sort of fancy. I kind of kind of pulled this out randomly. So I did a, um, it's like an apple mixed drink. Um, it's like an apple cocktail. So it is a fruity seltzer. You can use any kind of fruit um, or just plain seltzer water. Uh, fresh sliced Honeycrisp apples apple juice and a splash of vodka and it is delicious it's almost like an apple martini but not as cool <laughs> well it sounds like an apple martini but with without a lot of the extra like sugary bs that they usually put in those yes you know? it is Just... a very baseline like here's the best way to put it it is a poor man's apple martini <laughs> well but with the lack of sugar means it's just better yeah That's you true. know what I'm gonna say that your drink sounds superior, right? I think the I think the apple teeny is a thing that the uh, <laughs> that the that the frat crowd likes to pick up at uh, at the nightclub, right? Yeah, it sounds like what you've engineered is a superior product. So. It's like the gentleman's apple martini without Ooh. like all the all the crazy like green dye and all that other stuff. Like it is like natural. Like I mean, like I straight up got two apples from the store cut them up and mixed it with this. And I'm like, Oh, this tastes really good. Like, like I said, I just, I kind of tested it out today. I was looking up recipes for um, like apple mixed drinks. And so I tried this and I'm like, Oh, this, this is actually really good. And it's very, like I said, raw, like very base. Mm. There's not like a bunch of other stuff added into it. Um, and it, I mean, it is really good. And to be fair, I have actually never had like a legit apple martini, but I think I like mine a little bit better. Just saying. <laughs> Well, I have, and yours sounds better than any of the ones I've tried. So, oh, okay, cool. That makes me feel better. <laughs> uh, I myself am enjoying a Manhattan, bit of a specialty for me. I'm a big fan. Um, <laughs> and I think, what did I pour you, Matt? I poured you a little bit of the Jack Daniels single barrel barrel proof. So we're a uh, bourbon oh, household over oh, here wow. tonight. That's why it's like, clearing my sinuses. <laughs> Caliente. <laughs> yeah. Can you breathe it's now, Matt? Delicious. I can. I know it's fantastic. <laughs> It's great. Oh, gosh. and this this episode is going to get more and more fun. The the more of that that I drink. So, <laughs> well, maybe that was the plan all along. I think it was. <laughs> oh gosh! All right. Well, um, everybody, uh, you know, before we move on from this section, I just want to remind you: head on over to Instagram at uh, Captain Dangerous. Uh, check out check out Kylie's feed and all the stuff that she does. Because um, if you haven't seen before, what kind of art she makes you really owe it to yourself to go check that out it's it's completely unique it's really wonderful and uh she's always working on working on something great collaborating with a variety of, of really awesome people so it sounds like she's got some great stuff coming up soon go follow her thank you guys much appreciated well let's go ahead and got uh blah let's go ahead and get on into the uh meat of this episode um talking about the next section of link's awakening before we do that Kylie, I want to get a read from you real quick on where you're at with Link's Awakening. What's your history with the game? I mean, I, you know, is it one of your uh, one of your more well-trodden Zelda titles, or is it one of those that you don't have quite as much familiarity with? So I fully admit that I actually did not 
fully play through the original. Um, I, not that I didn't want to, but I didn't have as much access to it. So when it came out on the Switch, I was super stoked because I'm like, oh, cool. I can, you know, I can finally play through this um, and, you know, kind of have it I mean, the beautiful, adorable, cute little chibi graphics. I mean, it just spoke to me. I'm like, this is, there's just like, they look, they look like the art that I do. And yeah. so I hopped right on it. So over the last, I would say since it came out and I, I think I finished it either early this year because you know how it is when you know other games come out you get distracted and that's basically yep. what happened um so i finished a full playthrough i would say like three four months ago um finally and i uh i was just i was enamored by the art the cute little i love i love how like the, the top kind of it's like top down it's almost like a you guys know the the term um tilt shift yeah like it can't, that's exactly what it looks like. And, uh, I was, so that's, so she's talking about that blur effect, Matt, that we were talking about. Oh where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where it like mm -hmm. it fakes the draw distance. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and it's, it's really neat. If you've ever looked at tilt shift photography or even tilt shift videos, um, it makes everything look miniature. So if you see like a, a, a video of a, someone going over like a, a city or even just like a forest or something, it, it looks miniature, but it, but it's not. And that's kind of what really like piqued my interest and in like, Oh, this is such a cool, you know, like a uh, way that they went with recreating Link's awakening. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly just finished uh, my first playthrough of Link's awakening just over the last few months. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I really love about this game is the fact that anytime you walk into a house, especially, it takes this kind of diorama approach. Yes. Yes. And where and, and because they're translating a space in this in this modern game that has a wide aspect ratio mm -hmm. um, based off of a space that was on the Game Boy, which had a square aspect ratio. And so it, they're not stretching the space out it's still taking up the same amount of real estate on the screen that it ever was. It's just that the edges of the screen are now kind of a void, right? right? But the walls of the house or whatever chamber you're in have this diorama look to them. And every time I walk into one of those, I think, man, this looks like a Kylie Parker ass <laughs> You thing. stole what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, so it's so funny that you guys said that. So I was very fortunate to be at the E3 where they had all of those little sets. So all of the little, and speaking with the people at Nintendo, all of them said, every single one of them said, when they saw those sets, they're like, this is straight up looks like your art. Like every, I'm talking like the higher up people at Nintendo, every single one that I talked to, they're like, yes, they're like, this looks like, I actually had people asking me if I made those sets for E3 and I'm like, I wish, but whoever did, did an absolute phenomenal job. And I was just so like, I, I honest to God did not leave that booth because I just wanted to keep looking at all the little tiny details they did. And like all the little, like, it was just so beautiful. Um, and I think that's what really like resonated with me for Link's Awakening. And it, it honestly felt like I was playing through one of the, you know, tiny dioramas that I had made. And I think that's why I love it so much. 
Um, it's honestly in a little bit of a tribute to uh, Minish Cap. Minish Cap has a little bit of that same vibe. And I think that's why Minish Cap is also one of my favorite Zeldas is it has that same tiny, like cute little diorama feel. Um, but no, Link's Awakening, definitely like the art direction they took with it. And just, oh, it was just, it was so adorable, so engaging. And I love like you were talking about when you walk into like one of the rooms or into one of the buildings that it is like a little, little cutout diorama. And what was so great is that they took the time to put in all that little detail in each room. And I find myself when I play through it, um, when I would go into the room, even the, the, the buildings for the first time, I would sit there and look at like, Oh, look at the little scattered papers they did. Oh, look at the, the shelves. They put like, you know, cute little things from like the beach on it. Like all those little things that they put in really brought that to life. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah, and it, it really goes to show the amount of effort they put into the remake. It wasn't just a, a an upgrade. It wasn't just like a, you know, a reskin. They did a ton of work. I mean, aspect ratioing it can't be easy to no, you know right. update from game to game. And and the way that they did it to where it's just seamless and flawless on on such a newer console um, is really great. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that in the in the canon of Zelda remasters, which we've had a fair amount of, right, I would be willing to say that this one probably has gotten the most TLC from a development standpoint, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it truly is like, you know, other other Zelda remasters have been, you know, same engine, just an just an up res or whatever. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I understand that that's even a huge amount of work. Um, but this is just on a completely other level where every aspect of this game has to be re-engineered from the ground up and it has to feel like you remember the original one feeling, but also it has to be built on a completely modern foundation. So it's just, it's just fascinating. It's a really, really incredible experiment. My Nintendo, which I think paid off uh, in spades, honestly. Absolutely. And uh, something speaking of kind of, you know, remakes or HD ports or whatever, if you notice, um, and especially the Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask um, ports to the 3DS, and is they're absolutely gorgeous. And they did add some small details to things. They really did. Um, especially when, like, you walk into, you know, some of the smaller rooms or buildings or, you know, whatever. Like, you, you notice the, the little, some of the few little details they add. But with Link's Awakening, I really feel like they went heavy with that because, you know, obviously you look at the original Link's Awakening, it's pixel, it's, it's not as detailed, even from an N64 standpoint with Ocarina of Time. Um, but they really went heavy with the details and, uh, the, the backgrounds, the coloring, the everything, like they really pinpointed that. And I really appreciate that as, as someone who builds tiny sets, those little details really do matter and they draw the eye. Um, a lot of times artists and other people will notice that they're like, oh, you know, I noticed, I noticed this small little thing in the background, um, of like one of my photos or, or anything, even digital art. They're like, oh, I, I noticed that you put that in. People do pay attention to that. And I think that's what makes Link, Link's Awakening so special, especially with the, you know, like the, the reboot of it and everything. Um, they really did put that time in and I appreciate it so much. Yep. 
No doubt. No doubt. That is all super well said. I, I'm glad that we had you on um, at least for one episode in this game to kind of talk to that that perspective just because it is so applicable to what you do. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of great. It definitely it definitely feels like one giant like I, or I should say sectioned like a diorama, like the way that they did it. Um, and, and I like I said, that's that's definitely why it appealed to me so much was was definitely that. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, obviously, we're going to talk more about Link's Awakening here in just a minute. Before we get into that, now 20 minutes into the episode, <laughs> um, let's uh, let's get into just a little bit of housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, head on over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Hey, Matt, I think you, uh, I don't know, it's been an episode or two. Let's get a five-star review queued up. Let's see what somebody said. Oh, all right, okay. Uh, I put him on the spot. He you wasn't did. expecting this. I was this. not prepared for this. You gotta give me a second. And also, most likely, edit some of this out, because there's gonna be some dead space. Because I really don't like how they rearranged um, Apple Podcasts on the phone app. It's kind of a pain. This seems like a good time to mention while Matt's pulling this up, given the changes to Apple Podcasts. We are continuing to kind of like evaluate what we want our strategy to be around the new Apple podcast subscription system. We've got a bunch of bonus content, and uh, I'm heavily considering getting a lot of that onto Apple Podcasts in addition to the Patreon, just so more people can discover it easily. But we haven't made a firm decision about that yet. Look forward to more about that. In the coming weeks, especially as Apple kind of gets some kinks ironed out with their <clears> system as it's brand new. And frankly, it's a little little buggy right now, but we'll we'll get there. We'll find a way to do it. All right. A five star review from Lovalo. Lyndon and Matt both very thoughtfully going over the Zelda series bit by bit, sometimes with a special guest. They play a little bit every week, then reconvene to talk about the story, what they've done, the experience of playing it now versus years ago, and what they're looking forward to doing. No Dead Air, edited very well, props to Lyndon. They keep the show entertaining the whole way through, and I find myself now looking forward to a new episode coming out every week. Thank you, Lavalo. Well, there you go. Again, please, uh, if you listen to the show and you enjoy it, leave us a five-star review. We would love to hear your thoughts. Um, and, you know, also, please interact with us on our social channels. We're on tw- uh, Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod. And uh, we would love to hear what you think about the show and just to uh, be able to interact with you, have a chat about Zelda, just generally speaking. We love doing that kind of thing. Clearly, we set aside an hour and a half once a week to do that and then release it on the Internet. So for sure. And also, uh, one of the main complaints many of you have in your reviews is that I pronounce things incorrectly. Um I can no longer pronounce uh, the fairy from Ocarina of Time's name incorrectly as we have passed that game. So everyone is scot-free from my mispronunciations. You mean Navi, right? Yes, that one. Wait, how are you pronouncing it? I need to know. (sighs) (laughs) No, he's all shy. (laughs) Well, now you you have to say it. Navi. Navi. No! Matt, what the heck? <laughs> what is no? I said uh, Navi for twenty years. Do you say Ocarina or about Ocarina? Ocarina. 
Okay, because that was a big. No, big yeah, that was, a, that was for a, a while. Intent. This is about the point where Kylie shuts her computer, runs away, and we never hear from her on this podcast. Bye, guys. Look, no one ever has to hear me say it again. <laughs> like, really, I, I'm never, never have to say the word again. We're over it. We're past it, guys. This, this is move on. Oh my gosh. All right. Um, this, this made my whole day. That, that's, <laughs> a, that's all right. You know what? Just give it time. I, I'll, I'm sure we'll find a completely new thing to absolutely drag Matt. Oh, I mean, most for, likely. Yeah. Oh, my God. It'll happen. That's what I'm here happen. for. All right. Um, without further ado, that's all the housekeeping I think we have for today. Let's get into the Sacred Realms Rundown. As you guys know, the Sacred Realms Rundown is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Link's Awakening Chapter 3, which includes the Key Cavern, Canalet Castle, and the general Ukuku Prairie section of the game. Part 1 of the plot recap is, as mostly always, read by Matt. Mostly always. Take it away for us, Matt. (laughs) All right. As we continue our adventure across our mysterious island habitat, our next stop, as told to us by the bright white light, is the Ukuku Prairie. First stop on our path back is to return Bow Wow to his fretting mother. For our heroic efforts in rescuing her beloved pet, she repays us with a rather startling kiss. Mwah! Smack dab on the lips. Lucky. Oh, ooh. <laughs> Feeling thoroughly thanked and even a little bit rejuvenated, we head east to the prairie to find our next lead for the instruments we need to wake the windfish. Using the power bracelet and the rock's feather, we easily move aside or jump over all obstacles on our path. Eventually, we find our way to a shack with what seems to be a weather-worn banner hanging at the front door. Curious, we peek inside to see who may be taking shelter here. We find a young man and his frog friends uh, named Richard, who claims to be from royalty uh, in the from the Conalette Castle to the north. He was ousted from his home by monsters, and in his haste to flee, lost the five golden leaves that were his family's greatest treasure. He makes us a deal. If we get the five golden leaves, he will show us the path to a useful hint. Unsure exactly what that means, uh, we still agree to help the poor guy out because, you know, we're just nice guys. <laughs> we make our way to Connellette Castle only to find that the door to the castle is completely blocked and locked. In other words, impassable. While exploring alternate routes to enter the grounds, we find a monkey sitting near a ledge who is very, very hungry. Seeing as helping folks out around Coho Lint usually leads to a good outcome for us, we go to look for some suitable food for this hungry little fella. After a little bit of bargaining and bartering, we take some canned food to a crocodile living on the beach in a house and trade it to him for a bunch of tasty-looking bananas. Promptly, we return to our hungry friend and supply the desired chow. Immediately after consuming the fruit, the monkey and some of his friends, who undoubtedly came out of a barrel somewhere around the corner, build us a rather handy bridge right into the side yard of the castle grounds. Exploring the castle, we find hordes of armored and angry enemies. We fight our way valiantly through them, and upon defeating a select few, we begin our collection of golden leaves that Richard tasked us to find. The last of these leaves is held inside the castle by the leader of the brigands, a golden-armed fiend with a giant spiked ball and chain that reminds me of the Witch Kings. 
a little bit. Ooh, yeah. He's he's kind of intimidating. He's gold, not black like the Witch King, but still, you know, kind of the same vibe going on, right? Do not come between the Candlelight Castle Knight and his prey. Ooh. But uh, we can't do the I am no man thing there because Link is totally a man. Link is great, but Link is no Eowyn. That, oh, absolutely accurate. Anyway, after claiming all five leaves, we return to Richard with his requested treasure. Richard, true to his word, grants us access to the field behind his house, which is full of potholes that we sometimes fall into. So I don't know if he's really doing us a favor, but there it is. And advises us to dig around back in his yard to find a much needed tool for our adventure. I really just feel like this guy just wants us to dig some holes in his yard so he can plant some more plants. Kind of, a, we, we may mean, have been exploited. I feel like this was exploitation. After many holes being dug and even finding a handy piece of heart, we find exactly what we were looking for. A key to the key dungeon. Pun most likely intended. The key dungeon is completely true to its name. Keys basically fall from the ceiling after killing enemies, and there are more doors in this dungeon than the entirety of Mabe Village, and it is key cavern, not key dungeon. A lot of keys, guys. After much annoyance and many open doors, we find an extremely useful upgrade to our boots, the Pegasus boots. These handy tools allow us not to fly, but to sprint at very high speeds, which not only boosts our damage and allow us to jump over longer distances, it also allows us to blow through some new obstacles. With our new boots on foot, we make our way through the rest of the dungeon and in the final room are confronted by a giant ball of slime. An uh, interesting battle ensues where we defeat the ball of gunk by splitting it in two and then destroying the eyes on both halves. Pretty classic boss fight, all things considered. Aim for the eye. In the room that the boss was protecting, we find the sea lily's bell. One more instrument down and we are one step closer to waking the windfish. That has been part one, the plot recap, as read by Matt. And you know what, Matt? You're getting pretty darn good at this. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Part two is our takes where we talk about what happened in this section of the game and uh, what we felt about it. Um, I'm going to lead off here. I actually really enjoy this section of the game. Uh. And I didn't really understand why until I replayed it this time. I've always enjoyed it, Um, but I I didn't have the vocabulary really to put it into words until just now. And that's because we've had a conversation with Max Nichols of Bungie about dungeon design in Zelda since, you know, the last time I, I replayed this. And he was kind enough to break dungeon design in Zelda down into two main mentalities, and that is Puzzle Box Dungeon and uh, Combat Gauntlet Dungeon. And uh, they're very distinctly different. This section of the game, uh, of course, Key Cavern is a puzzle box dungeon. It's heavily reliant on solving puzzles to get from one area to the next and keeping the arrangement of the dungeon in your head. But also it's got Candlelit Castle, which is very much a combat gauntlet, a a combat gauntlet dungeon, Um, especially on hero mode. Uh, I had, (laughs) spoiler alert, I died. Not in Candlelit Castle, but (laughs) anyway, I'll I'll talk about that later. But this is no longer a no-death hero mode playthrough. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, I know, right? I feel ashamed. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but I was really on the edge of my seat the entire time I played through Candlelight Castle just because in hero mode, and I, I had like six, seven hearts by this point, um, it is actually packed full of very dangerous enemies. The knights are more aggressive. Um, <laughs> there are bouncy enemies that are kind of bouncing around the room the whole time that you're trying to kill the knights who are throwing spears at you or block their yeah. attacks with your shield. I mean, like, it's it's kind of hard. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Conalette Castle was a lot of fun for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, the knight that pops up out of the ground, drops some bombs, and then, like, you're, you're basically playing whack-a-mole with him. Very interesting um, new enemy type that I enjoyed fighting. And then um, our, yes, sure. our golden armored friend uh, with the giant spike ball, like he's super dangerous because not only does his spike ball do a lot of damage, it also will hit you through your shield because it goes like through you and then he draws it back. So if you haven't moved quickly enough, it'll still hit you. Yeah, it's, a, it's good stuff. It's it good. It's good dungeon. Yeah, mini Ky- dungeon. Kylie, where are you at with this whole section of the game? So, this is one. Like I said, it's it's been it's been a little bit since I've been through this. Um, but with this one in particular, like you were saying, with like the whole new little dynamic with the um, what was it, the night? Like the whole yeah yeah yeah. Um, I thought that was really really neat. Uh, it was it kind of shakes you up a bit because you're so used to kind of having a flow with stuff. And then you come in and you're like, Oh, this is, this is different. Like, Oh, okay. Like I gotta, I gotta kind of readjust what I've been doing. Um, so no, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely kind of, kind of feel what Matt was saying. We're just like, Oh, all right, well, um, let me, uh, re reevaluate my, uh, my situation here. Yeah. (laughs) I think, there are parts of this section I don't really like, and um, I, I'm going to save some of that for our dungeon map walkthrough. Um, but specifically, the trading quest in Link's Awakening is very lengthy, and there, like, if you haven't been keeping up with it pace by pace when you get to this point, trying to get that monkey to do what you want him to do is like confusing. It's there's a lot of steps. You have to talk to so many people. There's a lot of you have to win the crane game. You have to do this. You got to do that. Like there's a lot that goes on in order for you to progress in what is a main section of the game that has literally no explanation. So, okay, look, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you slightly here because which you are allowed to do. (laughs) Am I? Well, that's great. I was going to say, are you though? Really? <laughs> hey, we, we disagree on many things. It always comes back to this, Kylie. I have the passwords. He does. He does have the passwords. <laughs> so, yeah, it's my show. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. So I, I actually enjoy the trading quest um, simply because unlike trading quests in other Zelda games, or at least ones that I can remember off the top of my head, like, uh, you know, Ocarina of Time, which we just played through yeah the trading quest to get the big goron sword it is completely supplemental and it exists purely to get you the big goron sword and the trading quest in this game it does have an end goal i mean you get the boomerang from it which the boomerang rocks um totally op and then also it's really tough to beat the windfish's egg the final dungeon without having done this trading quest um so there is an end goal in mind but also the trading quest itself is woven through certain necessary events throughout the entire story so it is not supplemental it's required 
um, for a lot of its steps, you know, like like the one that we have here. You can't get to Candlelight Castle unless you've gone through the trading quest up to the point where you have to give the bananas to the monkey. And I don't know. I, I kind of like that. Um, in Ocarina of Time, there were a lot of things that happened where you had to go to this person, talk to this person, do this thing. And it was uh, like I could see it being frustrating for a person who's never played that game before because um, there's more space to explore. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're approaching this from a simple process of elimination where you didn't get a great hint about what to do next. So you're just going to talk to everybody until something works, right? Like in Ocarina of Time, that's just tedious because of the travel time and the size of the map and all that. But in Link's Awakening, it's not that it's completely non-tedious, but also this is just not that big of an overworld map. Right. And like I, I... I see where you're coming from and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but coming from someone who's only played the game, this is my second time. Like I'm not so familiar with the map or the characters or the quest itself that I can easily progress through them. So it was a a fairly lengthy amount of time and I already had the canned dog food. Like I literally only needed the bananas and it took me, quite a while to find the crocodile in the shack on the beach. So here's an interesting point. Um, Do you feel like, because when you look at a map of the overworld of this game, yeah, it is not that big. No. Do they make it feel much bigger than it is? Just, yes, just by they, like saturation of things mm-hmm, that are in mm-hmm. it. They, yes. And they also make it somewhat difficult to get from one area to the next. Yeah. Actually, Kylie, I want to hear I want to hear your thoughts on this, because since as someone who just beat it and has kind of got that perspective, like I think that Nintendo did an amazing thing with the overworld design here. And I I, I want to hear your thoughts. So are you talking like the overworld design as a whole? I'm talking about the fact that if you split the overworld up into a bunch of grids, right, uh, it doesn't take up as much space as, say, Link's Awakening or uh, A Link to the Past. High Hyrule right. does, right? But it feels much bigger than it actually is just because it's packed so full of stuff. Yes, and that that's literally what I was getting ready to touch on. Um, it it and you know going back to even talking about like the little details and stuff that you put in i i think that's what makes it feel so packed um is the fact that they did put all those little tiny things in there and and i don't know if it was kind of like a maybe to compensate for the fact that it like you were saying like it's not as big as the other worlds but it feels that way simply because they put so much time into those details, into those little, um, you know, added things and whatever. And, and cause like when I, when I played it, um, you know, playing a link to the past, which you guys are saying is, is a bigger world map, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's got two yeah. of them, you know? It, yes. It's a, it's a, there's a mirror side to the yeah. other one. Um, I feel like playing links awakening. I feel like it, it, it felt almost the same. Um, in the sense of like how big it was. Now, obviously there's a difference where, you know, Link the Past has the dark world and is like a, like a mirrored flipped, you know, version of it. And I will say Link to the Past will feel a little bit bigger simply because of that. But Link's Awakening as just game in itself, no flipped world, no nothing. It feels very jam packed in terms of, of things to look at. 
um, detail and all of that stuff. So I feel like it kind of compensates for how Link's Awakening was, was having that, that flipped world. It, it kind of fills it in yeah. a little bit. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think this is, so this is going to be my last point about the, the world design of Link's Awakening before we move on to the dungeon, but it's something we haven't touched on really before. What Matt said is absolutely true. The world feels big just because of how saturated it is, but also just because of the ways that Nintendo found, the developers found, to make it difficult for you to progress from one side of the map to the other. There are rivers that you can't pass until you've got the flippers. There are stones that you can't cross until you've got the power bracelet. There are crystals that you can't destroy and move past until you've got the Pegasus boots. You know, There are chasms you can't cross until you've gotten the hookshot. And it's one of those things where in like Ocarina of Time, which was the next game that was made after this one, they did they did right. a similar thing, right, in some places. And the items that were required to progress in that way, say let's say the Megaton Hammer to get past certain stones or the Long Shot to get past certain gaps, right? Um, maybe the Long Shot's not the best example because you use that a lot for puzzle solving, but the Megaton Hammer especially. Like, they're items that you get for that purpose, that feels so non-impactful for the rest of the game because the map is just not set up in such a way that uh, it, it, that is as intentional about denying you movement from one place to another. In a top-down game like Link's Awakening, the entire overworld feels like a Swiss watch where one thing leads to another, to another, to another. Everything in its place, in its time, nothing happens and, and you don't progress before you're supposed to. And that makes all those items that are specifically uh, designed around gating you into a place feel much more impactful. Like uh, the flippers, which we're going to get to in the next episode, those don't feel like a wasted item to get, even though you're not using them for combat or whatever. They don't feel like a wasted item because they're opening up a whole new section of the map for you. The power bracelet, which mm-hmm. you got in Bottle Grotto for the same reason. It's not like... You know, you do too many new and exciting things with that, but it feels great just because it allows you movement throughout the world. The Pegasus boots, which we get in this section of the game, similarly open up a lot of new movement possibilities um, and, and thus unlock whole new sections of the map. And so I really I think that's a great testament to the intentionality of Link's Awakening's game design. Anyway, that was a whole thing, but <laughs> I'm stepping down <laughs> off this box now. <laughs> You're so yeah, box. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, Kylie, Matt, do you guys have anything else you want to say just generally about this section of the game? Nothing that I don't want to say in the dungeon map. Well, let's just get on into part three, which is the <laughs> dungeon map, where we t- analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Um, this week's dungeon is, of course, the key cavern, uh, which, as I said before, true to its name, uh, absolutely buries you i mean we're basically like scrooge mcducking in keys so many keys yeah scrooge mcducking oh i love right into that you know dive off right into the pot of gold or the huge pile of gold in this case it's a huge pile of keys yes that is exactly what's happening um and and truly like living up to its name this dungeon its entire shtick is that it has just got a ton of doors and they are all blocked by by key locks and so, you know, you're basically drowning in keys. Anything you do in this dungeon gets you a key. And it still manages to be kind of confusing because there are so many doors that require keys to where, you know, you're, uh, I, I don't know. It just, 
it uh, it creates a puzzle box design of a kind that we have not seen in a dungeon in Zelda previously, really. Um, I will say a little bit of what it reminds me of, and I'm trying to remember if it's the um, an Ocarina of Time, if it's the Gerudo... The, the, uh, Ooh, the Gerudo Ger- training ground where you get the ice arrows. Yes, where you have a, like a, a set amount of keys, and that's, that's a little bit what it reminds me of. Um, other than that, I've not really seen anything even similar to this and i may be completely wrong but that that's what comes to mind is the the gerudo training grounds with the the set of keys and if you get a certain amount you can you know get to everything um but if you get you know just enough amount you can get to you know the end goal of what you want there's other things where like you know there's like rupees i'm trying to remember the other things you can get it's it's been a hot minute since i played so that's um, actually but yeah that's sorry that i mean that's an incredibly apt comparison because i i didn't even think of the gerudo training ground up front because i didn't play through it when we did ocarina last time but it it mm-hmm. uses the exact same system where it is just a it's a bunch mm-hmm. of rooms you do a thing in a room you get a key you take all those keys to one central area and then you unlock as many doors as it takes to get to the middle which is a ton um and that's so interesting to me because like i said ocarina of time was done immediately after Link's Awakening and for all we know was in development concurrently with Link's Awakening. And I, I just, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I wonder how much of a, of an intentional thing that that was um, because it does lend it. It creates a very unique style of dungeon where there's usually this great balance between combat, collecting keys, um, collecting items, progressing through the dungeon via an item you know you get the pegasus boots in this dungeon but you get them pretty late and honestly they don't really assist you in solving too many puzzles in this dungeon at all and they could have they very well could have i mean uh increased jump distance moving through crystals that were previously indestructible Mm -hmm. whatever Uh, that happens once or twice in here but really it's it's like the cones of dunshire it's all about the keys well and it's it's really funny if you I remember playing through um, Ocarina of Time with the uh, the keys and stuff, and I remember getting really stressed with the uh, the Gerudo training grounds because I was like, oh, like, oh, I don't have a key to get this other thing. Like, oh, and I didn't realize back then. I was like, you know, there's there's technically a way for you to get enough keys to you know open everything, but I remember like being very like possessive of like the keys, and I'm like, okay. I got to get to the end goal. Like I got to make sure that I have enough for this and this. And then, you know, finding out years later, there's like, Oh no, there's, there's enough keys for you to, you know, get all of the the little hidden things. Yeah. And there's little secret ways that you can get stuff. And yeah, it was, I was like, it was super stressful for me as a kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, gotta, I gotta have enough. I gotta, I gotta make sure I got enough to get, you know, get what I need. <laughs> yeah. The, um, there's actually eight keys that you can get in this dungeon and you only need seven. Um, Again, exactly like the Gerudo training grounds. Is it you, really only seven? It feels like so much more. It's it's only seven. Um, right? I'm looking I at IGN's guide right now just to make sure that I wasn't lying about it. Yes, it's only seven. Because <laughs> um, there are, when you go down the stairs, so in the first room that you go in, you go straight, and then there's like some hallways. You go down the hallway to the right and you get to the end and you go down a staircase and then there's four locked doors. Um, the door on the south and the west are totally useless doors that you don't need to open for any reason. They have like 
spare stuff in them. I think one of them has like a three heart thing. And then, a, then the one on the South side, I don't even think has anything at all. Um, useful. So like you don't need those two keys. Like you have to open one of them to get the key from the room. I, I don't know. There's a look at IGN's guide. If you like just generally hate dungeons like this, IGN's guide will literally walk you. Through yeah. Step so step, there, like, there's a weird moment in this dungeon where you're going to fight the boss. And the way this happened for me is I have the boss key. I've got the, the compass, the map, the Pegasus boots. I'm ready to go kill the boss. And in the final room before you open the boss's door you kill some dudes and then a key drops out yeah you do nothing with that key and i'm just like what no. is this for you keep it as a souvenir yeah okay cool it's, it's your it's your extra, it's key, extra. From the key cabin yeah and it really is just because there's so much complexity around progressing through the dungeon based on getting through key doors that they're like okay well it is technically possible for a person to have gotten to this point without the boss key and they need a key to get through and get the boss key. So we've got to give them one here Yep, and it might be an extra, but also it might like help. I guess. <laughs> so it's, it's so, it's so interesting because I can't think of another instance in a Zelda dungeon, a main Zelda dungeon where you end up with like more keys than you need to use. But anyway, um, so all that is to say, I think that aside from the main mechanic of the dungeon, which is just, keys and progressing via keys with a little help from the Pegasus boots. I don't think this dungeon actually has much of an identity past that. No, it, it, it it's yeah. yeah, it really doesn't. It's, um, I th- think so far this may be my least favorite dungeon that we play. This is, I mean, it's only our third and I think we've got what three more. Um, it's just like, it feels like it's trying to do a lot of things at the same time. And then the keys is just a way to like gatekeep you from moving too quickly through it. The enemies aren't hard. You are introduced to the Dodongo snakes for the first time. They're somewhat interesting. Um, and you do meet them again. Right. Yeah. They, they, they come up later as well, but like they're fine. This boss fight is weird. I, I, didn't love the boss so, fight, but bef- so, but before we okay. move on into the boss room, like I I agree with you and the artificial difficulty that they are going for by introducing just a butt ton of keys is like I don't <laughs> love that. Um, there are a couple cool mechanics that I do really like. Um, there's the they reintroduce the vortex thing. Except instead of pulling you in, it's pushing you out. So you have to use the Pegasus boots to get past that. I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, The longer jump distance, also very cool. Very appreciate that. And then um, beating those, the little teleporty bastards, the mimics, I think they're called mimics. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you get too close to them, they like teleport to the another side of the bird looking dudes. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. those guys, super obnoxious. But once you figure out their pattern, you can, if you don't have the Pegasus boots or the bow and arrow, you can plant a bomb where you know they're going to land and then like trick them into going into the thing and kill them that way. That was kind of fun. Um, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on the dungeon. That that was pretty cool, honestly. Now that you've highlighted that, yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, the Dodongo snakes, I actually do think are an interesting mini boss. And I like that they're reused later in the game because a lot of Zelda games don't reuse mini bosses. You fight them the once and then they never show up again. But these guys do show up again. Um, th- these are the guys who the mechanic revolves around. You have to throw bombs in each. There's two of them. 
at any given time. And or when you when you walk in, there's two of them and you have to throw bombs into their mouths and they have to swallow the bomb and then they take damage. You have to do that three times per snake and then they're dead. Um, And it actually is kind of tough because one, you can run out of bombs, which, by the way, are not plentiful in this dungeon. And you can only hold 10 at a time as of right now. So, like, you know, they give you a few earlier in the dungeon, but it is very possible to run out of bombs in this room and then have no way to hurt these guys. And then you just have to bail and go find more bombs and come back and they're back to full health. So that's, you know, that's a pain. Yeah, which I had to do only once, actually. Here's a little tip. Which was still annoying. Yeah, here's a little tip. What you can do is you can actually hold the bombs and you can throw them into the snake's mouths if you time it right. And what that allows you to do is that if you miss, you can just go pick the bomb back up before it explodes. And then it's kind of the same trick as in Ocarina of Time. You don't let a Deku stick burn. You yeah, know? you just like swipe your sword yes. and stow it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So same thing with this. You don't waste any bombs because if you miss the shot, that's fine. You just go pick the bomb back up. So that that's what I did. And um, it saved me a lot of headache this time around. Um, the boss. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So real quick before I get into the mechanics of the boss, I want to thought about it. You know what this boss reminds me of? Uh, it reminds me of the poison that they use on Korra in season three. Oh, oh. you right. You right. I see yeah. that. When I was a kid, this boss, just because it was called the slime blob, it always reminded me of that blob of green goop that falls onto Marv's head in Home Alone 2. Uh, yes, yes, uh, yes. Oh, I can't unsee it now. Oh, and, yeah. Yes, sure. and he like after he falls in the pit, then he screams a lot. And oh man, anyway, <laughs> so hilarious. That's movie. just that's just me. Uh, also, when he's like pulling it off, and he's like, yes. <laughs> where he's like. He's like cussing, but yeah. he's not. <laughs> Man, this is actually, this is going to end up being a cut of Marv's scream. The, <laughs> the one where he electrocutes yes. himself. Yes. I think yes. you see his skeleton briefly because that's how electricity yes. works. Love it. Oh my God. Anyway, oh, so anyway that's what that reminds me of. But just talking about the boss from a mechanic standpoint. Um, so you, you'll remember earlier in the episode, I told you that I died. Mm-hmm. And this boss is what did it. And I'm actually real pissed because you died to the slime blob. No, no, no. Okay. So here's, Hold on. Time out. Nope. You give me so much crap. I'm going to savor this moment of you dying to the literal laziest boss I think I've ever seen in a video game. It wasn't entirely fair. So, oh, I'm sure there's a good excuse. Let's let's hear your excuse now. Hold up. Hold up. In his defense. Come on, Kylie. No, 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 no. Just no. Just listen. Save me. So when I was playing through Ocarina of Time and I was in Dodongo's Cavern and I was playing on the stupid oh, yeah. controls because the Wii U and the wide gamepad yes, and I died and I felt so stupid 
but to be fair, I did have the Wii U yeah, gamepad, exactly. and it was like literally trying to play. Like, you guys ever see like those um, those giant like pianos from like the movie Big, where like yeah. you're trying to. Right. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like holding the gamepad, where it's like it feels like the left side is in you know like the other side of the world, and the right side's over here, and you're like, okay, <laughs> and to make it work. Yes, but he was not using a Wii U gamepad. So, so. here's no, I was. So here's how this happens in Hero Mode. Every every time you hit this <laughs> boss, he does two hearts of damage all right so which wouldn't be an issue because he it's generally i mean this is not an aggressive boss but what happens is when you get to the part where you have to you have to hit his single eye with your sword and then he splits off into two eyes and you hit another one of those eyes enough times to where there's this string of slime between the two halves of his body and you have to break him in half by charging through that string with your pegasus boots and then he becomes two separate things, and you can just hit them with your sword and kill them. I know this. I've beaten this boss so many times. There's this weird thing that happened where I went into this boss fight two hearts down because I just got, I'd gotten hit twice in the dungeon with no way to replenish them. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I get to the point where I'm charging through the slime string to break him apart, and the hitbox in the game kept shifting me off to the side. Like, I guess you have to be perfectly dead center to break that string, but I would charge up with my Pegasus boots and I would get shifted off to one side and hit the boss's body. And that would hurt me. And it was so infuriating because I felt as like I'm lining this up correctly. I don't understand what I'm doing wrong here. And so it just shoot you off. It would shift you off, and you would you would miss your main point. No, I can completely understand why that. Yeah, and it, like, and it, it seems so arbitrary. Like, I I don't know why it was happening. I don't think it was like a glitch or anything. I just think that the hitbox for you being able to do that on the slime string is pretty small. And I don't know. Anyway, and, and yeah, and I feel like like you were saying like it's there's a very small like time where you have to you know cut through the middle and stuff. And and I if you miss that, then you'll you know, hit well, because yourself. he starts coming back together if it takes you more than a few seconds to break that string apart, you know, and then and then you right. can't break it apart unless you hit him again and the string gets thin again. So it, anyway, that's how that happened. But I would have been a lot more cautious, except I had a fairy in a bottle and I'm thinking like, oh, I've only got one more hit left, but that's fine because I've got a fairy and what's the <laughs> worst that could happen? So here's a fun thing about fairies in Link's Awakening. They only work if you open the bottle. They're not automatic rebounds. Yeah, like there's it's automatic. Yep. <laughs> what the heck? Where'd that come from? Like, dude, that threw me off so bad uh, the first time I played through it because again, you're you're used to that mechanic, and so when I was you know playing through it, I'm like, oh, it's it's fine if I die. Like it'll just you know revive me with you know my fairy or whatever. And then you're like, oh, you, you have to. Oh, crap, you have to open it. Yeah. As yeah. one of my ex-girlfriends said, I cut you no slack, literally ever. So there you go. All right. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's oh. great. Uh, I'm glad that you do not have to be with that person anymore. I, unfortunately, am stuck with you who just well, said exactly. that to me. <laughs> yeah, and I <laughs> cut you no slack, literally ever. Gosh. All right. Well... <laughs> Okay. Look, I really do deserve it. I mean, it was a really dumb way to break a no death run. But anyway, I was true to my word. I did not hard reset the game. I'm being honest with you people. 
There you go. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah. As I was also <laughs> honest in my failure to 100% Ocarina of Time. You so were, we we have been mutually honest in our indeed, endeavors. You were indeed. Okay. I think that's about all that we really have to get into with this dungeon. There's nothing else really there. <laughs> let's get into yeah, part. Yeah. Let's get into part four, which is where we talk side quests. And this is actually going to be kind of an interesting one because like we said before, um, a bunch of the side quests you could do in this section of the game are required to progress. They're like actual technically main quests. Yes. But uh, yeah. But also I did get up to a little bit of extra stuff in this section. What'd you get up to, Lyndon? Well, uh, I actually tried to, so I was trying to collect as many heart pieces as possible. Um, I went to the, yeah, I went to the dream shrine knowing that well i i knew that i would not be able to get the ocarina because you need you need the pegasus boost to get the ocarina yes but i wanted that big 100 rupee deal in there that is my next stop because yeah as i'm saving up for the bow and arrow i wanted the money because i was going to go buy the heart piece from the the shop but oh i see i did that (laughs) anyway i got in there and then i realized that um it is actually really tough and dangerous to try and kill all the dudes who were in there without the pegasus boots so I, yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Or, or without the bow and arrow. Um, I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, he is on hero mode. I will give him that. They, because I am not. I, okay. Mode. So I had, I had crazy Tracy's medicine when I went in there. That was smart. Yes. And I actually visited crazy Tracy for the first time in Link's awakening history for myself. She uh, has something that'll pump you up. Yes. She pump does. You up. <laughs> she is suggestively attired like a playboy bunny. So I feel like they're really aiming hard at a certain vibe there. And I think they accomplished it. Yeah, they, no, they definitely yep, did. No doubt. They knew what they was doing. Anywho, so I had Crazy Tracy's medicine. I was protected from a, a death, basically. And uh, I had six hearts, went in, got hit one time by one of those dudes in the Dream Shrine, KO'd me at full hearts. Oh, on, on he- Oh, no. Yeah, on, oh, on, on hero mode, they take away at least six hearts. And that was not my game over because I had the medicine. Uh, and when that happened, I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Nope. Like, <laughs> just noping I'll so back, hard out. I'll come there. back later. Um, I did. So I did all the trading quests that was required. I actually, after the bridge was built, you know, you get the stick. Yeah. I, I had to go back to Mabe Village for something else. And I did the next part of the quest, which is you give the stick to Terran and he knocks down a beehive and you get the honeycomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know oh, where the beehive yeah, is. Yeah. It's on the tree. I actually passed it a couple times. It's on one of the trees. Yeah, yeah so did that. And then actually uh, encountered the Seashell Mansion for the first time in my playthrough. See, I went to the Seashell Mansion, but I have been intentionally avoiding collecting the seashells so Why? that I can go look up a guide of where to get the seashells <laughs> and uh, therefore allow myself to actually get all the seashells. But at a certain point, if you have enough seashells, you get a sensor which tells you when you're walking over a seashell. Yeah, I'm aware, but like I was going to start doing seashell collection while I'm traveling for work next week, uh, okay. which I am like, you know, traveling is great. Traveling for work is not great. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time <laughs> in the hotel and I'm like, need something to do. Yeah, but the N- Nintendo, our Lord and Savior Nintendo created the Switch just for this eventuality. Well, they, exactly. And my Switch will be my constant <laughs> companion. It is. Need. It really is. You don't. You don't need friends or family. Okay. Well, that's or push, that's pushing others. It. That's pushing no. it really a lot. You you have both a friend and a member of your family on this podcast right now. So you're throwing a lot of people under the bus. I right mean, this I'm very just, second. I was just going 
following the logical conclusion Matt, of you don't need anything other Matt than Matt is just like, oh. yeah, Matt is just like, all I need is Nintendo. Hey, Kylie, does your Switch go pretty much everywhere you go? Uh, yes, um, especially if I am traveling. Mm-hmm. I do take it with me. Everywhere. And before we move on from this, I do want to let everybody know I am not a sad and lonely person. I like I don't actually <laughs> believe that you only need Nintendo. Like I have many friends. I love my family. This is all great. I'm a very sociable person. I promise. <laughs> it's, I'm not like someone to be Matt, pitied. So be don't, don't get on like social media and be like, I'll be your friend, Matt. Which like, you know, if you want to be my friend, cool. But just saying. I, I then just picture at the very end of this podcast, like there's like a like a secret little quip where like the switch is the only friend. The switch is, and that's it. That's all. <laughs> I leave. I leave, everyone's like, why are there five seconds of silence at the end of every episode after this? Like, and then they wait. like pick it apart, and it's like, whoa! If you like, if you enhance the audio, you can hear. <laughs> hey, look, our our podcast listeners are not the Destiny Two community. They're not gonna like do yes, that. Right. They're not gonna do that. Raid Secrets isn't it's pulling like, this apart. Like I don't think so. No, they're not gonna run uh, it backwards at one sixteenth speed. Try to figure out if we have some hidden message somewhere. Yeah, it's like a secret code that we put at the end. We should totally do that. <laughs> yeah, hey guys, you know if you yeah. at the end of every episode, it's just Matt going. The switch is my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you listen to Stairway of Heaven backwards, it's just Matt saying that Nintendo's the only person who loves him. Yep, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. I believe it. <laughs> How do we always get on these tangents? Why is it always me? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, wasn't that fun? Like <laughs> for God. some of us, sure. All right, let's Okay. Part 5 is Z targeting where we lock onto fascinating characters or enemies that we happen across. Kylie, you go first. Give us a give us a character you thought was fun that happens in here. Well, to be honest, even though he was kind of boring and very simple, I did like the I did like our gooey boy, the little jelly blob at the end. <laughs> I thought he, I thought he was kind of cute. Like, I mean, yeah, like, oh, sorry, you know, I gotta kill you to finish this uh, to finish this dungeon, but uh, I don't know, you're you're kind of cute with you know your blobby mass and your one Only eye. Only our miniature <laughs> dioramist artist friend would think that a blob of goo with exactly i i have a soft yeah, no, spot i mean it's it's understandable little given little your <laughs> affinity for small things and you yeah know, you're, you're work. i get it i can see it yeah i i i did really like him despite the fact that he was really simple and pretty easy yeah. i mean i know i mean despite the fact Lyndon, you know had some issues <laughs> we won't talk about that just kidding <laughs> Lyndon's like, all right, she's gone. Y'all We're can't see Lyndon's face, off. but he literally just did like a, oh my God, they brought it up again. Like, kind of face. Oh it was amazing. God, well, guys, it, it's oh. been great knowing Kylie, but she's yeah. never on the podcast again. She's dead to me now. Hey, to, hey, Kylie, to what extent do you think the slime eye is related to Gooigi? Gooigi? Oh, oh my. Okay, so now my brain is. I was about gone. to say, Lyndon's um, bringing up the real questions. He's bringing up, yeah, he's bringing up. So I wonder, is it the, is it the same goo? Is it the same? Is it all the Nintendo universe goo connected? Is it the and same? And is it connected to the Inklings? Like, 
gooey. Yeah, is it the same stuff? (laughs) It's six degrees of goo. A multiverse of goo. Yeah. Yeah, is it is this like a like an Illuminati thing where it's like Illuminati? <laughs> <laughs> where you're just like, oh my god, they're all connected. It's all the you're, same. That, you're the meme of um, I think it's Nick from uh, it's not Nick. It's the Always Sunny in Philadelphia the, guy, I think, where he's got the oh Charlie Day. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's got the, the tons yeah. of pictures yeah, and then the the, the, the yeah. red string. And he's like, it's all connected. It's all connected. Yeah, that's okay, guys. It's the same if you just if you just look on the back of the Declaration of Independence, then you see a triangle that connects the slime eye, gooey and the inklings from Splatoon. But you have to yes, rub some all, uh, lemon juice on it first, and then like put it at low temperature, yes. like hundred degrees or so, and it'll like apparently. And you have to use a blow, you have to use a blow dryer because it yes, needs heat, exactly right? lemon juice and heat. That's all you Nicolas need. Nicolas Cage did that, and he, Nicolas Cage knows what Nicolas he's doing. Cage knows so. All. He does. He does. I mean, he stole the Declaration of Independence, so clearly he knows all. We get so sidetracked. (laughs) Man. Who knew knew that that slime eye could be such a wealth of conversational opportunity? Um, (laughs) It went from from slime eye to the Illuminati to Nicolas Cage to National Treasure in like three minutes. Awesome. Look, we could only we could only be so lucky to need to talk about Nicolas Cage again before this episode is over. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I could go. I could talk about Nicholas Cage for hours. <laughs> All right. So for my Z targeting pick, I want to talk about my boy Richard, who oh Richard, look, he's old fabulous, Richard. excellent hair, yeah, and the, the cape flip, yeah, is on point. Great hair, time. great cape. Dude's got some frogs. He does have frogs. Yes. Yeah, and uh, Lots of and frogs. I don't want to. I don't. I don't know what that's about. But uh, you know, I'm not asking questions. I'm not here to judge people. Maybe he just likes amphibians. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Richard's deal exactly is. I do want to say that I saw neither hide nor hair of his entire family when I was trying to get those golden leaves back. Did he, did he turn his family into frogs? Well, I was actually thinking that his family turned into monsters. But sure, Richard turned his family into I frogs. Mean, is it, is it like- yeah, is it like reverse Princess and the Frog? See, where that's, the, instead that's what of I was like, getting, yeah. <laughs> huh. I'm, All right. I'm thinking he turned his family into frogs. You know, he gets some sparkles whenever he does the cape flip. Maybe he's got a little bit of magic there, and he's just like, boom, you're a frog. Boom, you're a frog. Boom, you're a frog. So, okay. Boom, you're a frog. Yeah. Um, I'd turn you into frog if I could, as long as it was reversible. I believe that. Like, uh, if I, I could turn you into frog just for like a day and like, Poke, <laughs> yeah, but would you? Yeah, but, but and then turn back. Sure, but I would you, totally do it. But would you wear a cape and uh, style a pompadour? I don't have enough hair for a pompadour. I like to keep my hair short, and also, yes, I would totally do the cape thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm about it. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. Yeah, I'm about it. Look, all I'm saying is, my boy Richard, best dressed on Koholent Island. Oh, absolutely, he's looking great. Oh, for sure, he's fabulous. for sure. He's very so Richard gets my Z targeting pick. Matt, who who's up for you? My boy, the crocodile who lives in a shack on the beach and eats canned food and eats whole. canned dog food without taking canned it out of the can. Food. What a character! I mean, he's he's got to get. I mean, he's got to get this. What is it? Protein? I, I, mean, I, I don't know what. what he, uh, I, I always mean, imagine yeah. that he talks with like a super thick Cajun accent. Which just yes, I oh I so felt you. that too. It just adds yes. to the character for me. Like obviously he doesn't have a voice line because it's Game Boy Advance era and they didn't have voice actors. But just like 
it it just sets the whole thing off for me. Dearly. Yeah. So, okay. Now, Cajun, Cajun Crocodile eats canned dog food while still in the can. And yeah. gives you bananas. Because why does a crocodile have bananas? There's just so many things about this situation that don't make sense. Why is he wearing a hat? Why is he living in a shack? Crocodiles are not saltwater animals. Why is he by the beach? Like, there are just so many questions. Oh, wait, is it alligators? Hold on. I gotta, uh, now I got to Google it. Oh, wait. Yeah, I Google this because I'm, I'm now I'm literally sitting here questioning like, is that are they saltwater? I, I really <laughs> thought, wait, are we questioning whether he's a crocodile or an alligator or are we questioning whether or not crocodiles are saltwater animals? OK, crocodiles can do both yeah. fresh and saltwater. Alligators are only freshwater. So, yeah, but what's maybe he's a, so maybe he's he, a, is a cro- so, he is a crocodile. He is a crocodile. Okay, because I'm going to say crocodiles and alligators have a different, yeah. like, snout. For sure. Like, yeah, it's the snout length. Yeah, yeah, alligators have a very long, thin yeah, snout. Yeah, yeah. Alligators are the more broad. Uh, he is a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> he is a crocodile. I don't believe crocodiles ever inhabit oceans, which is still, again, why is this dude on a beach and not near, like, a saltwater or freshwater lagoon? Like, oh, I don't know, over by Animal Village, where they have one of those. Um, you know. I don't know. Very this true. guy just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He's a very interesting character. Um, who could tell? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you're right. He's he's fun and we enjoy him. Yes, he's very cute. I do. I do love him. But uh, no, good. Good point. Now, I'm, now I'm like questioning. I'm like, do you do? So speaking back to to my my friend who uh, I, I know I had spoken earlier, little little off off the record here. But I know I spoke to my friend who had come from Texas to stay with me and. She was, uh, she was asking me, do you, do you guys have, you know, cause we're at the lake. She's like, do you guys, do you guys have crocodiles or alligators in here? And I'm like, no, we have really big fish. <laughs> That's really Not it. Ohio. Like, <laughs> no. And if there was one, I would be shocked. We do have them in Texas <laughs> like- though. See, and that's, and again, I think that's why she asked, but it was, it was very funny. Cause I'm just like, what are those? She's like, oh, do you, what, what do you have in the water here? I'm like grass carp grass carp yeah and i was like grass carp are really like they get really big but they're (laughs) stupid and don't really do anything i was like that's really it yeah i was like because she was like nervous going into the water i'm like no no there's nothing out you're you're fine trust me so there's no creepy gators from Link's awakening that are gonna bother you and ask for cans of dog food tell you you what (laughs) if anybody listening to this podcast has ever witnessed a crocodile eating an entire can of dog food then Please let us know, because if there's like a precedent for this in nature, then I, I'd sure like to know about that. Yes, please PM and at us, because uh, we are all very curious at this Just moment. <laughs> slide right into our DMs about that. Please do. Yes, because like I know I know sharks will eat, some sharks will practically eat anything, but I don't know that about crocodiles or alligators, so I'm very interested. So let's get into part six, which is final thoughts. Matt, as always, or... As mostly, I'm going to mostly always. Yeah, I'm going to leave this to you to tie up with a sentence or two. All right. So this section of the game has a very interesting combination of combat outlet dungeon versus puzzle box dungeon. I feel like it sets you up solidly for the trading quest for the rest of the game. Although the dungeon, in my opinion, is a little lackluster. Or the, the key cavern dungeon. Uh, I think this section of the game overall is pretty solid. Awesome. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, be back next week with another Sacred Realms Rundown, which will be covering uh, the fourth chapter of Link's Awakening, Angler's Tunnel, Yarn in the Desert, all that fun stuff. Um, and we'll get back to that then. Before we get out of here, though, I do want to take one or two minutes to ask our friend Kylie. So uh, just to put this in, in context, Kylie, um, Matt and I are going to be recording a bonus episode soon. We're going to record an episode where we break down theories and speculation about the Breath of the Wild 2 trailer from E3. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We're all so excited. Um, I don't necessarily want to do too much of that here, but I did want to ask you, uh, what was what was your number one most hype moment of Nintendo's E3 this year? Metro. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, obviously. Come on, you knew the answer to that before she asked it. She was I all up on our, she and Drew as... were all up on our uh, Twitter feed talking about Metroid. <laughs> yes, Come on, as man. Soon, as soon as you're like, what got you more? I was like, I'm waiting for him to finish his sentence so I can say Metroid. <laughs> Dude, oh, oh my God. So, like, we, I mean, it has been 20 years since we have seen anything Metroid. Anything, anything completely Was the GameCube Metroid, Metroid really 20 years ago? So Metroid yes. Primes one, two, and three were obviously all new. Oh my god! And then I'm so Metroid, old. Metroid, Metroid right? Other M, which a lot of people don't count because they think it sucks. But like that, it was it was not as good as the Prime series. But like, oh my goodness! Like the second I saw them, like I could hear the music, and I saw like the Prime, like I freaked out because I'm like, okay. My first thought was like, okay, are they doing like a reboot? Are they like remastering whatever? No, no, no. They're giving you a full game. And here's what's cool is they threw in an Easter egg by the main name. Now, this has been teased for the past, I would say, two to three years. The name of like the sub name of Metroid. Um, This is an Easter egg from the other games. So like they built off of this hype for years and then they put um the sub name to it which really got fans freaking out because they're like oh this isn't just like you know like just you know it's just like another port of some metroid game or a sub game no no no. it is a full like next step in the metroid yeah. series and like i i freaked out i'm a huge fan of metroid and like i have been on nintendo's butt since i started working for them <laughs> and been like guys Come on, you got to give us something Metroid, and they've been like, oh, you, you know, and you know, they obviously can't say yeah. anything. So when they dropped this, like we all, like, me, my husband, all of my friends were like texting me. They're like, guys, Metroid is it's real. It's happening. This is a real thing. It's not just like a port. It's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and you know what? I have played and beaten exactly one Metroid game, and that was Super Metroid on the <clears throat> Switch. That's the best one. Yeah, I've heard heard that. And I I liked it enough to where I'll get Metroid Dread and try that out. And actually, now that uh, actually now that we've recently uncovered our lost um, Game Boy Micro, I'll probably actually try and track down a cart of Zero Mission and uh, Fusion and play those. I will. I will say, too, um, the Prime series is actually really good. Well, Um, play it as soon as Nintendo re-releases it. Yeah, Metroid Prime 3 Corruption is the most recent game, and it came out in 2007. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yep. So I will say, little side note, um, not to keep you guys longer, but this is really funny. So after 
the uh, the show of, of you know Metroid Dread, my husband was like, um, "Where is our Wiimote and where is our our uh, like like the I can't remember what it's called Joy-Con and that's not Joy-Con. the nunchuck um, nunchuck nunchuck." Thank you. I was like, "What yep. is the word?" Uh, and so we were digging through all of our Nintendo stuff trying to find it, and we couldn't find our sensor bar. And like mm. we were super mad about it, trying to figure it out. And uh, ended up finding out it was in the chest that I had all the other things with after a week of looking. I'm like, oh, it's been right here this whole time, which my husband was like, really, this whole time it's been here. And uh, he was playing through it. And like, he is the biggest Metroid fan. So he was kind of like watching him play through it and like how much this this game you know means to him. It's It's his Zelda. So him showing me all the little things and all this stuff, like it was really, really cool to like watch him reimmerse himself into the Metroid series. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really funny, like digging through, trying to find everything. And it, it took forever, but it was like one of those things where we're looking at each other like, man, I really wish they would just release it on the switch so we could have it and not have to dig through, you know, the past decade of content or, or of, uh, of, of systems to like be able yeah, to definitely. this game. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what my favorite announcement from the direct aside from Breath of the Wild 2, which was awesome. Um, I am so stoked for Mario Party Superstars. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I it's all the OG yeah, stuff. Yeah, like I I'm such a big fan of Mario Party and I like Super Mario Party for what it is. I, I enjoy playing it. I've Same. never had a bad time with it. Um, there are things about the 64 era of Mario party that I really wish they would adopt in newer Mario party. And, uh, and this, and that's what Mario party superstars is completely about. It's just, it's recapturing that, that Nintendo 64 golden age of Mario party with five different boards from those games, which are bigger than the new ones, Mm -hmm. all the mini games. Like it just, it sounds so fun and I can't wait to play that game. For sure. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, this has been a great time, Kylie. Awesome. I'm so glad. Always a great time. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, hey guys, guess what? Newsflash, this will not be the last time you hear Kylie Parker on this podcast. We're gonna Yay! I'll be back. <laughs> we're gonna get her back as often as we can have her. Um, Kylie, is there Please? like last minute before we get out of here, is there anything else you want to plug? Any other channels, anything? I mean, besides my main, like I'm Dangerous Pixels on Facebook. I'm uh, Captain Dangerous 64 on Twitter, and I'm just the OG Captain Dangerous on uh, Instagram. Those are really my main three. Um, other than that, no, not really. Sweet, <laughs> that'll do. All right, guys. Well, that has been this episode of Sacred Realms. If you enjoyed the show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and you can become a patron. Got no rupees? It's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action sacred realms will be back next wednesday with our thoughts on Link's awakening chapter four including anglers tunnel the yarna desert that whole section of the game uh animal village it's a fun special place 
<laughs> uh, we'd love for you to play along with us and share your thoughts on our social channels. Link's Awakening can be played in its original form on the Nintendo 2DS or 3DS on your trusty old Game Boy or Game Boy Color, or in the near future on that Game & Watch that they're selling. Or, if, yeah, yeah, get that Game & Watch collectibles. Um, or, of course, you can play the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that we are playing. In the meantime... May your hearts be full and may your arrows never miss. Kylie, Matt, all of you guys, we'll catch you next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.